Did you know you can get all of our podcasts on our free podcast app? Head over to rawattractionpodcast.com to download the app now. For the world's most ecstatic love and sex podcasts, bonus videos, and exclusive articles, head to rawattractionpodcast.com to get the free app now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Royal Attraction Magazine podcast. This month, we have a focus around kink and BDSM and fetishes. Uh, that's what we're focusing on in August with the magazine and our podcast. So today, we've got with us uh, a man from Portland in the States. Uh, his name is Galen Foos, and he's in the last 14 years, he's worked with hundreds of men and women and couples who've looked for support in healing from fear, shame, and judgments. They've been really holding their authentic desire back. He has a specialist focus on fetish sexuality, which we're going to talk to him about today. He's also actively researching a new and developing a new therapeutic model of sex therapy for individuals and couples who seek to resolve inner conflicts between their authentic desire and the parts of their psyche that resists their healthy expression. So hello to you, Galen. Hello, Steve. It's a pleasure to be with you and the, the Raw Attraction audience today. Great to have you here. Um, so going on from what I've just introduced you as, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, why you do what you do, and also a bit about this personal erotic myth survey that you've, you've recently put out? and uh, you've got research on. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks for that opportunity uh, and the introduction that you gave. That was a good overview, and it is the focus of my work to support others to be able to consciously engage this very complex and little considered, really, aspect of our sexuality. You know, for myself growing up and most people I know, uh, in the generation that I'm from, which was, I was born in 1950, you know, I was raised in a very uh, confusing world around sexuality, at least of what my authentic sexuality was, I already knew since I was a, a boy, or I had glimpses of it, you know, I knew I was not what was the mainstream, and I also knew that that needed to be kept secret and hidden. And I literally never told anyone through the, you know, the first 40 some years of my life. I hid my authentic sexuality, which is what I define now as fetish sexuality, you know, an interest in BDSM oriented sexuality. And so coming through that on my own in my late 40s, I finally decided to get real about who I was sexually as I was going through a divorce and making this change of life. And one step out of the gate, I immediately got viciously outed to uh, all my family, all my friends, all our couple's friends, all the employees of our business, et cetera. I became a persona non grata overnight. And it was a very uh, intensely, emotionally, uh, soulfully draining, uh, fearful experience to become an outcast like that just overnight with no one questioning or asking what was my side of the story. I was termed right down there with kind of like child molesters and rapists, you know, because I had an interest in uh, BDSM-oriented sex. But by whom? Who were you outed by? Uh, my ex-wife. 
well, who outed me to literally everybody <laughs> I knew, we knew, uh, business associates, friends, my own children, all of her family, all my family, all our couple's friends. You know, and as I said, this phenomenon was as I was became, I was like the Inquisition, you know, kind of suddenly I was uh, this villain after living in this city for 27 years and coaching kids and through, you know, basketball, football, soccer, uh, you know, for eight years of, you know, uh, suddenly no one stops. Wait, wait a minute. That's not the Galen that we know. And let's call and ask him. It was like the fear around sexuality was so great. It became like a witch hunt. And, uh, I was literally burned to the ground, cut off from, uh, everything, including the courts, uh, followed suit, uh, as well. So it was a very traumatic experience to go through just to get honest about my sexuality. And so, the benefit of that, the blessing of that terrible experience was that suddenly anyone I was likely to have kept this private from knew. So I was suddenly liberated and free to just be who I was to pursue that openly. So the blessing was now I'm in a position and, and it's led to this position where I'm a very vocal advocate for authentic sexual expression and tolerance sexual honesty, uh, sexual healing, and have made that my life's work, you know, and, and turned my, uh, you know, my therapy practice over to the, that uh, mission and uh, returned to school, got my master's in transpersonal psychology and have really been in a position to advocate for this, both the kind of at the academic level, the therapeutic level, and the public level, uh, in a way I never would have been able to had I not gotten outed. Well, it's quite a story. I didn't, I didn't realize there was um, that kind of background uh, to what you do, and yeah, it's um, incredible that you've come through that and made that your life focus. Because as I just to emphasize that, uh, I, I really have an empathy for how challenging it be can be for someone just to open up and be honest uh, about their sexuality and then to engage it as well. It's all very complex, really. Uh, it's very powerful and beautiful and, and the most magnificent journey I think you can take to become sexually authentic and really dive into the depths of Eros that are available to us, these powerfully ecstatic experiences and authentic enlivening experiences uh, but we are tangled up with all of these shames guilts fears judgments and traumas mm -hmm. around sexuality that we've been immersed in for decades often do you think there's this shame around kink nowadays uh, compared to when you were outed by your ex-wife um, what do you think the situation is now around kink um, i know you've done your personal erotic myth survey so you might want to talk about that as well yeah so we're definitely at a an evolving state of in fact an unprecedented state as i look at it of uh sexuality on earth has never been this much out of the closet uh globally uh and mass this range of sexuality that's emerging now has been the province of the aristocratic jet setters of every era previous for back for a thousand years or the 
uh, occult, esoteric, uh, monastic almost, you know, sacred sexual practices have been around. So both of those two threads are emerging into the public sphere now in a way that everyday humanity has never been exposed to or had an opportunity to engage in. And humanity is engaging prolifically in uh, via the Internet and a whole pantheon of different sexual expressions that are, are emerging. Uh, and people are finding their little tribes and, and engaging real time with others. This has never happened before in the history of civilization, really. So it's quite an imp- impressive phenomenon. And it's also at a very immature state. So it's, uh, we have a, still a lot to learn about how to consciously engage these uh, sexual expressions. And so the way it shows up to a great extent is in uh, irresponsible, immature, reckless, uh, out of integrity uh, ways that people are hungrily seeking, but just have not caught up with, you know, this sexual secrecy and hiddenness, this sexual dishonesty is really like pandemic, really. I think in the culture right now at a huge proportion. So, yeah, I think people are, uh, move, you know, moving, stepping away from that, that shame based foundation that, you know, uh, we've held sexuality in for generations to this more open way, but we still have, uh, it's a long journey to take it from where it's been because there's so many things in the unconscious that are still tangled up. Even when you consciously say, well, yeah, I'm a fetishsexual. I like kink, BDSM. I'm a dominant. I'm a submissive. Uh, whatever the case might be, that's an intellectual, rational understanding that you're you're making your statement on. That doesn't have that not necessarily dealt with the unconscious entanglements that are still alive in, in the unconscious that will judge, will shame. So even if you cross the threshold and engage, often people will still deal with you know that shame and fear and self-judgment, uh, even if they're engaging their sexuality. Mm. So how do we get to that unconscious part? How do we heal that on, on a personal level? Well, it's a, uh, I look at this pathway of exploring your authentic sexuality as both an empowering and a healing journey. You know, the empowerment is in embracing and owning who you are authentically and sexually. Authentically and always really is, I think, the mission. But sexuality has obviously been the bastard of personality and the last in line to get our conscious attention. So uh, this is a great soulful journey into one's personal power and claiming that right to express and be and to embody. This is another part of the the process is really to learn about embodiment because we've also culturally been disconnected from our bodies in many ways. And even if we've been athletes and athletic, we still have very little awareness of the body's uh, impact and power. So like when you want to express your kink or fetish, if it's a dominant, for instance, you know, it means to really embody that power in your voice, that intensity in your body language and in your movement and into the the authentic expression, you know, because we can also, like if my voice gets a little, you know, the voice is one area where it's often restricted. Tension is there, you know, so people feel a little nervous when they try to speak and embody this 
new this not so public part of them. So this uh, empowering side is all about those kinds of things of learning how to be present, to be embodied, to speak honestly, and to negotiate with integrity, etc. All of those empowering sides. The healing side is then, well, why is my voice tight when I try to say kneel or give a command or whatever the, the case might be, or why do I struggle so with my intention to surrender or to serve when I get irritated or bitchy or, you know, grumpy or uh, et cetera. These are revealing things in the unconscious that are contrary to our intention of to be uh, in our authentic sexuality. So the great thing is, is if you take the path, you'll instantly start to be faced or be confronted by all of these uh, hearts tangled up with your authentic desire that judge, resist, or fear where you're trying to get to. So do you think the best way, without spending money, although you can spend money, I'm sure, uh, on therapists or going to workshops, uh, coming to people like you, which definitely has their benefit, but is there a way we can do it within a relationship so consciously realizing that we have to heal from these parts and step into our empowerment to be really aware of when we if we are acting out a desire that we can heal and communicate about these things after something has happened how how would you like to address that what what would you say about that yeah i think that's a great question and i believe that these Practices are in natural to us, you know, to be able to communicate honestly with each other, to be vulnerable enough to say what I'm afraid of, or I, uh, the, there, this is an important, so, you know, there's no easy way that I could say that, oh, okay, start tomorrow and you'll be on your way uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, it, it, there are very practical steps and, and practices to start to learn about that can help support you on this journey. You know, I start with what I call the five keys to uh, authentic sexual expression. You know, and these, these are good kind of anchor points to consider for yourself is uh, the first one is what I call sexual authenticity, which is the process if it's not already clear to you. And many people, it's not, you know, some people are very clear like, oh yeah, I'm uh I like to tie people up. I like to abduct. I like to, you know, be a ritual uh, rapist or motherfucker or uh, doctor or authority figure, whatever the case might be. And these are archetypal personas that are being called up in my experience of them. So sexual authenticity means getting clear about what your desires are. And if you don't know, there's ways that you can learn to drill down into this unconscious and meditations and different visualizations to, or journaling, just to really start calling up this part that's often been really pushed down into the dark and only shows up in uh, just a few intense moments right before orgasm. It really will fully embody in that moment. But so exploration and getting clear, or just experimenting a step at a time a little bit with any of the aspects of fetish sexuality one might want to engage in. The second thing is sexual honesty, and that is to learn how to then to, once you know what your truth is, what your authentic expression is, 
how can you communicate that honestly to your partners and be honest about what you're afraid of, you know, what your uh, judgments, you know, what the parts of you that might judge. And this is another, I think, uh, important key for people to get in touch with is that it's really a, not an accurate thing to say, I am this way or I am that way. And a more accurate statement is a part of me of this is this way and a part of me is the other way. Because we have these conflicting parts within us, you know, and if I say, well, I'm afraid of this. Well, not really, because I have the part that isn't afraid. You know, my, my sexual being is excited and, you know, thrilled to be who it is and what it wants to do and so I, it's better to help one differentiate the unconscious by thinking about parts of oneself versus that part being quote unquote you. So this uh, honesty then can help us get down to these conflicted parts. You know that I, I look at it as tangled up with my you know my sexuality, the parts of me that feel shame or fear or judgment, and they're like weights or encumbrances on that authentic expression. So getting honest is both in what's desired and also what resists that desire and being able to communicate that with your partner. The third one is sexual empowerment, and that means to learn to embody what that truth is and also to disembody what resists that truth. That's this tension is physical. It has a physical component to it, and that's what constricts the voice or or limits the, the throw of the flogger when you're, you know, uh, flinging it, or if you wish to crawl across the floor, that what makes you feel awkward and, and out of sync is that resistant part. So the empowerment is to learn practices of being present, of movement and other conscious touch and different things that can really enliven the body and bring it more into the present and start to shed and untangle uh, the restrictions in the body. Then there's uh, sexual shadow, and this is looking at all the ways if you've been hiding your sexuality for decades, you have decades of shadow, ways that it had stayed hidden, stayed alive, but found expression in ways that maybe aren't in integrity or with the values you want to bring into it in a conscious expression so that you bring awareness to how you might step out of the line or out of integrity or out of your intention or out of, you know, your authenticity because this, you know, shadowy ways are sneaky and, you know, they, they try to get what they want without having to be in full integrity. So it's important for people to understand that part of themselves so they can, again, bring themselves back into awareness and consciousness and in, in integrity. And the fifth part is what I call the paradox, and that is learning that we are uh, immersed in this duality of experience and our who we are. You know, we are both civilized uh, people and we are primitive people, you know, wild instinctual people and, you know, intellectual rational people, uh, sacred and profane. Uh, all of those are aspects of who we are, but we've tried to live in this kind of monotheistic view of, oh, I'm only, you know, I aspire to the civilized and I hold, I pretend I don't have any primitive in me. I'm a, I'm, I'm an advanced human being. I'm not like the animals. Uh, but the truth is we, we're still totally like the animals. You know, we are wild and sensual. In fact, some of the elements of dominance and submission 
and sadism and masochism, I believe, are linked to a mammalian, territorial, alphabetic, pecking order type of muscular, you know, dominance and submission, hot-bloodedness uh, to it, and also down to the cold-blooded, uh, sadist, masochist, predator-prey level. Uh, a lot of these energies show up in DS, BDSM-oriented ritual sexuality. So the paradox is learning that uh, I can still be a good uh, citizen, parent. This is what people struggle with often. Uh, yeah, I can still be a good citizen, parent, uh, community member, partner uh, in life and social in service to my community and also be a very dark edge, sadistic, masochistic, perverse, taboo, uh, wild thing in my sexual expression. They don't cancel each other's out. And that's that's what a lot of the internal struggle people have is to, well, how can I yearn for this and still be a good human, you know, or not be pathological or much psych psychologically uh, dysfunctional or something? Yeah. Well, we still have this thing around thinking that kinky desires perhaps aren't healthy. That still definitely exists. And um, what would you say about And that's in the academic therapeutic model still. Uh, and this is one thing different, I think, that I have uh, and the academic side, the theoretical side, of uh, that fetish sexuality is an innate, inherent, lifelong sexual identity, just like being gay, lesbian, bi, or straight is. That's not what's in the academic theory right now. The theory is still to the greatest extent that even if these are benign desires, they came from some neglect, trauma, childhood experience that has now is being substituted. You're acting out something from your childhood here. So uh, my research is clear, and this is back to the myth, the, the study I'm doing on the discovery of your personal erotic myth is the self-reporting from the people there, uh, uh, a great majority had nothing in their experience that relates to their <clears throat> sexual fantasies or fetishes. You know, they were, quote-unquote, born that way. It was just like if some, you know, I mean, nobody, at the 50, 60 years ago, the same question was thought of as in terms of homosexuality. You know, people knew it was a disorder that needed to be treated, diagnosed and treated. And uh, this is where fetish sexuality is at now. People can't just accept that, oh, people are born that way. Just like homosexual is just born that way, a gay or lesbian. So this is what I'm advocating for on uh, the work. And I hope that my research can help to shift and get more people involved in bringing that into the therapeutic model and the academic institutional model of sex human sexual behavior. So is, is BDSM or kink something that people can come into later in their life and they just discover it? For example, myself, I was not really at all drawn to BDSM or kink till a friend of mine said he was doing a workshop on it. And this was a year ago, and I'm 30 now, so when I was 29. And I went to the workshop and, uh, yeah, found it very, very interesting, the whole dominance submission um, how it works, how it can be like an adventure playground for adults to really play with their desires, 
for me personally, it was interesting. So it wasn't something I was drawn to immediately in my sexuality, uh, but it's something that is drawing me now. Uh, what what would your comments be about that? Well, I, I think you know you're you're an example of your question there of you know someone who wasn't aware consciously anyway of this aspect of themselves, but encountered it and it was like an instant oh. I get it. I think I think that's a good indication that it's an inherent part when it's that revealing suddenly. In my own case and in the research, my <clears throat> research uh, study of over 1,200 people so far, if you go to galenfoos.com and on the homepage you'll see Take the Discovery of Your Personal Erotic Myth Survey. Um, it's about a 40-question, totally private, anonymous, no... Uh, uh, track back unless you opt in to get the results, which in themselves are fascinating. But the uh, in that survey, uh, a very high percentage, I think something like nearly 30% were aware of their interest in fetish of some sort before age 10, before puberty even. Wow. And these are the, the, the evidence in, in my own experience that uh, for many people, these parts are alive with them even before they've reached puberty, which is a, a fascinating concept in itself to consider what, what does that mean about what is Eros or what is this sexuality? Uh, because we've linked it almost entirely, at least in the civilization, you know, to procreation. You know, the drive is to reproduce. Uh, I think it's obviously much bigger than that. And that's the, you know, I look at her. Eros is like a great wilderness area of the unconscious. It's a place that's little explored or understood, and it's the place where people project all their boogeyman and evil and the devil and uh, everything else out into that wilderness. Don't go out there. It's very dangerous. You know, you get it warned as a child growing up. Don't do that. Uh, that's, you, you know, you'll harm yourself. You'll, You'll be going to the devil or to hell, et cetera. So that wilderness area is really what this is about, of exploring our unconscious. This vast, really, it's a vast territory and, and a rich territory. But people are either already, you know, some people that just is alive in them, and they know it, and it's just there's nothing they can really, they can't stop it. And other people, it is like kind of latent, you know, for whatever reason. But when it gets activated, it's it's ready to go. Mm. Do you not think, um, for me anyway, that as a society, if you're born into pretty much any society now on on Earth, there's um, there's always an aspect aspect of dominance and submission with, from the day you're born. Obviously, you become more conscious of it. Uh, for example, the government's dominance over us, big business, our teachers. And then you might start playing dominant uh, roles over other people in your life in a relationship or you might be a business manager and be dominant over people. There's this constant play as we become conscious beings between dominance and submission. And so for me anyway, the whole BDSM scene lets you just play with that, that those two roles that we've been cast under in many different areas of, of our lives. It's like, well, in my life, I'm fairly dominant. I would not say I'm like an alpha male or anything. I just mean I'm, I don't, I don't submit to many people. And therefore, even though being dominant 
in a BDSM role is fun, there's there's actually more for me to learn when I'm in a submissive role. Self-analyzing, I would have thought that would have came from just living in this dominant submissive world, but maybe there's other aspects to it. But uh, what would your comments be about that? Well, that, that's a great and a large topic, really, I think. You know, we Thomas More wrote a really great book called Dark Arrows, uh, Thomas Moore's a psycho, psychotherapist and uh, kind of Jungian analyst, and it, this uh, he describes he's he's analyzing the Marquis de Sade in the book and and talking about this whole element of sadism and masochism and pointing out how our sadist is awash in the world and in the ways that you mentioned, you know, from teachers to police to the military to government leaders to our spouses. Uh, to parents, to children, you know, this uh, sadistic element uh, is pervasive. You know, we are brutal in the in the world. As we can see right now, we're, you know, shooting planes out of the sky and uh, torturing and mayhem globally. Uh, uh, you know, the, the problem isn't the sexual sadist. The problem is the, the domineering tyrant uh, sadist operating in the real world that we experience in our personal lives and in, and in the, the world at large. So these are, again, unconscious, you know, and they're also, again, they're projected in the name of, you know, all of, all of the, the, that level of the sadist is all in the name of freedom or God or religion or uh, justice and uh, very righteously upheld, too. It's defended as, you know, just to be that cruel. Um, so these are really potent and powerful energies, and I think by exploring them in a ritual way, which is, quote-unquote, a safe way, a conscious way to unleash the tyrant or the sadist uh, in a consensual, negotiated way, these can be, in a way, I think, even like bleeding off the... Yeah, so we were talking about the examples of sadism in the real world, domineering and dominance of the tyrant uh, shadow. The tyrant is the shadow of the king. You know, and the king in his power is this very noble energy. This is where in dominance and submission, there's a very noble side of that equation versus the BDSM side. But uh, I'll talk about that in a moment, I think. But in the this expression of how... Uh, the sadist and the tyrant is uh, engaged in the world or engaging in the world. We all carry those same personal versions of, of the tyrant and the sadist, uh, even if we don't have the, the power of the authentic, the, to, well, and actually we often do, you know, uh, in our relationships and our parenting and our uh, supervision of others in our workplaces or whatever, that energy can come out. But when we can take it into ritual and, and I, why Eros is tangled up or tied with dominant submission, BDSM, is, is still, I think, a big unknown question exactly. It's clearly there, but it really takes this energy in a whole different way than if it, as it occurs in the real world, our tyrant and sadist versus when we take that into the ritual world of negotiated consensual DS and BDSM. So in a way, I think almost uh, those shadowy examples or expressions of us that are awash in the world in a very horrible, brutal way, uh, maybe can even be diminished or we can diminish the effect 
of our shadow in the real world by taking those same energies into ritual play in Eros with a consenting partner and be the tyrant and the, the sadist there in a way that maybe kind of like soothes the beast. Uh, you know, so when we come out of that container, we're, we're feeling much more grounded, centered, less tyranty, less sadistic. So you're, you're saying playing out these desires can be a healing act in themselves. Well, because that's empowering, you know, so like, you know, the, the opposite example is the, the, the good man, you know, who's also a dominant erotic sadist in his authentic sexuality, but he struggles with the good man in the inner ritual container because, well, he's a nice guy, you know, <laughs> he doesn't really want to hurt somebody, you know, he doesn't, uh, is that, you know, it's kind of like a little more apologetic about his dominance or sadism, you know, so he has to learn to, a lot let no, let that uh express in the way that it's allowed in this negotiated ritual container to really bring up his fucking motherfucking asshole you fucking you know that, that intensity yeah to embody that can be a, a stretch a challenge and it's healing for that person to learn how to really fully let that part look out in a safe way and, and so this is another edge here where a lot of people are afraid, oh, my God, if I let that out, what if I go too far? What if I don't stop? Oh, my God. You know, uh, I think that's like an urban legend kind of uh, fear. You know, a conscious a person who's intending to start this in a conscious way isn't going to suddenly go off the charts that way. You know, it's just not the experience of millions of people who are engaging in DSBDSM around the world right now. That's not showing up as, oh, my God, so many people now are just, you know. I mean, that's not, but it's not to say that there's not a lot of conscious, as I said earlier, you know, we're in a very immature adolescent stage of this emerging era. So there are still a lot of people who are like, you know, teenagers in their responsibility and accountability and safety and other things. So this importance of this week that you're, or this month that you're presenting on your uh, publication there about conscious engagement is a whole different animal. It's the right, it's the path that it needs to go through to be able to help be held is in a risk aware way. Yes. And just a note for the listeners on that one, we've got an amazing introduction guide to BDSM written by London Ferry, which is available at ecstaticbdsm.com. So please do go over there and sign up for that. We'll also be launching a special crowdfunding projects on the 5th of September. And you'll be the first to hear about it. If you're on, the email list, which is going to be at ecstaticbdsm.com. So go and get your intro and check it out. And I think we're going to wrap up there. So thank you for your time, Galen. Uh, it's been a very thought-provoking uh, 40 minutes for people, and myself included. Um, it's something that I think I would like to speak to you more about, um, perhaps on a podcast in the future. And Thank you for taking the time. Um, where can people do the uh, research, the survey? The, it was galenfoos.com. Yeah, it's on my uh, a website, galenfoos.com, G-A-L-E-N-F-O-U-S.com. 
Uh, on the front page uh, of the home page, you'll see a link that says uh, take the Discovery Your Personal Erotic Myths survey. It's about 40 questions, totally anonymous, uh, very revealing information if you opt in to get the results from 1,200 people who have already taken it. And uh, also for yourself to find, uh, dig deeper, drill down deeper into your own authentic sexual expression. People find it very helpful and illuminating uh, for themselves. Mm. And that is serious. Re I mean, my research is also is serving my research of, of advocating that fetish sexuality is a innate, inherent sexual identity. Uh, and, and this is a population of the world that I think needs more study and understanding to bring a better uh, relationship uh, to from fetish sexuality to the rest of the communities out there than there is right now. I completely agree. And it's great that you're doing the work for the King Can fetish community. So thank you for that. Just a reminder for everyone just to go to Ecstatic BDSM to get your free intro guide to BDSM and hear about what we're doing in terms of our crowdfunding on September 5th. Please go to ecstaticbdsm.com and check that out. Wonderful. Thank you. Did you know you can get all of our podcasts on our free podcast app? Head over to rawattractionpodcast.com to download the app now. For the world's most ecstatic love and sex podcasts, bonus videos, and exclusive articles, head to rawattractionpodcast.com to get the free app now.